This is Jeff Steitzer, and you're listening to the Xbox Expansion Pass. Double kill, triple kill, overkill, killing spree, killing frenzy, Kilimanjaro, kill tacular, kill apocalypse, slayer, mmm, brains. <laughs> Welcome one, welcome all to episode 130 of the Xbox Expansion Pass, recorded on Monday, May 9th, 2022. I am your host, Luke Lore, the Insipid Ghost. In this episode, we welcome Jam Pack Sam of Exhibition and Xbox Podcast on to discuss the latest acquisition moves by Embracer Group to gobble up major players in Square Enix staple. Xbox continues to make moves in the cloud gaming market, and DRM is back in gamers' crosshairs as an Xbox network outage leaves thousands unable to play. Enjoy. Yet another week of gaming is upon us and behind us. Welcome to XEP, discussing all things in the Gamerverse as they pertain to the Xbox ecosystem. And as I want to do each and every week, I like to start the show by offering words of kindness to those who have made my gaming week better. And this week, the words of kindness are extended to my guest, Mr. Jam Pack Sam from Exhibition and Xbox Podcast. Joining me on short notice, helping me out, chatting it up with gaming uh, front stuff. Sam, what's up, dude? Not much, man. I'm very happy to be here joining you on a fantastic Monday afternoon. Lots of big news to dive into, but yeah, just ready to get into it and share the love of Xbox. Well, we're going to share the love of Xbox, and this is not your first time on XEP, but it is. it, it would be uh, absolutely terrible if we didn't take a moment and let you talk about Exhibition, what you're doing over there, how the podcast has grown, uh, and and just really how you're liking the monologue solo show, because as, as one who does it, uh, it can be daunting. So how's it going over on Exhibition? Exhibition is good. For a long time, I, uh, I had a podcast called uh, The Jam Pack Report, where it was a daily gaming news show. And so uh, after my life changed and I started my career, I wanted to do something on kind of a weekly cadence. And I had fallen in love with Xbox as a platform. Um, and so I figured that I would go ahead and start that show. We are on episode 50 as of last week. So coming up on one year. Um, and it is great. I really love digging into the news every week, and it kind of brings back the journalism stuff that I did in college in a big way. So it scratches that itch and all feels good with that. Uh, but the monologue stuff, it can be very daunting, like you said. So I, I definitely want to get more people on the show to kind of share that hosting uh, experience and hosting responsibility and just have some good conversations. But on a week to week basis, it's fun to just dive into the news, kind of share my thoughts on it. And there's always some good stuff in the comments and the shares and the conversation on social media as well with it. It's just this one big community experience. Um, yeah, and it's helped grow the channel. We just passed a thousand listens on uh, the podcast audio version, thousands of views. Pretty good stuff. That's cool, man. That's awesome. And you were talking to me uh, at one point. And I know you've mentioned it on the show as well. You're trying to look into get uh, interviews, industry interviews as well. Yeah, definitely. I love talking to uh, everybody from indie developers all the way up to AAA developers, the back end of the games that we love. That's just my kind of bread and butter. 
uh, whenever I'm not creating stuff. I love watching no clip videos from uh, Danny O'Dwyer and that crew. So being able to just talk to people about the games that we already love and that we know and also that are coming is something that I really want to do more of. One of my favorite uh, episodes that I've done so far of Exhibition was actually an interview with Witchbeam, the team behind Unpacking, which I loved from last year. And it was great to be able to talk to them kind of before the game really blew up uh, and kind of get into how it was impacted by Game Pass and how they had uh, seen the game itself grow over the years. It was really, really cool. So definitely looking to do more of that in the year ahead. That's amazing, dude. And uh, really, the reason I'm asking you all of this is for anybody that's listening to XEP that has not listened to Exhibition, uh, they absolutely need to check it out because, guys, it's it's very similar in nature, but Sam's just got this perfect voice for it. Uh, <laughs> and I'm all about hearing the stories of more people in creation and developing uh, different types of games. And so to me, that's the, the coolest thing in the world. So I'm super happy to hear you. You're doing that and and seemingly just enjoying it. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And just getting into the news on a weekly basis. And it's what I've always loved. You know, I grew up reading Game Informer. I grew up watching G4 back in the day before it had the reboot a couple of months ago. Uh, and so being able to take that passion and kind of channel it into podcasting and content creation as I got older it's something that's as deep a part of me as breathing and drinking water at this point. So it's always fun to jump on the mic and, and, and share some thoughts for sure. Nice. Awesome, dude. Well, we've got plenty of uh, opportunity to do just that. Now it's funny how time works, Sam, uh, because it feels to me like the big acquisition from Embracer group, the $300 million acquisition of Square Enix Western studios. It feels to me like that was months ago at this point. It's been a week. We're recording this on a Monday evening. Uh, so it's been a week since the news hit. But based on when I recorded the last XEP, it feels like a lifetime ago. And so I want to go over the news from that big acquisition. Whereas we had this, you know, $69 billion Xbox Act, uh, Activision Act, acquisition uh, by Xbox, where Activision kind of is going to be folding into Xbox's community. And then we followed that up with Sony's $3.6 billion acquisition of Bungie. It felt like billions had to be the word used anytime you spoke about acquisitions. And now we see what has to be one of the most frugal decisions ever, not to say it was the gr a good one all the way around, but Embracer Group has gobbled up Square Enix's Western division to include studios Crystal Dynamics, Eidos Montreal, and Square Enix Montreal, and a catalog of IPs, over 50 back catalogs of, of, of IPs, uh, including Tomb Raider, Deus Ex, Thief, Legacy of Kane. Uh, they did all this, Sam, for $300 million. Uh, when you compare that to $69 billion and $3.6 billion, it feels like the steal of a century uh, when you saw this, did you, were you as, as skeptical of it as I was? What were your first reactions? I don't know if skeptical is the right word, but there was definitely this amazement at, you know, like you said, $300 million for these really, really beloved IP specifically. Uh, but then you look at stuff like Crystal Dynamics, where that team... I mean, if you had come to tell me, and again, I don't know direct market values, I'm sure somebody in the comments could say they're not worth that much. But if you had told me Crystal Dynamics acquired for 300 million, that's a, that's a headline that would be believable just because of the size of the studio and, and the, the projects they've put out. Mm -hmm. But then you look and it's three studios of that nature and then 
all of these IP. And it was just one of those Monday morning announcements where it wasn't as jaw dropping as the Activision Blizzard stuff. Uh, but I would put this one well above Bungie's acquisition by Sony, I think, in terms of just my uh, level of interest and level of, I guess, uh, being impressed by the deal itself. I think this is a, a very interesting shift for the industry overall. It's wild to me. It's wild. And it, it, it's strange to me to see such a disparity in terms of the amounts paid, uh, particularly given the catalog of IP that are now moving with uh, these three studios over into Embracer Group. The catalog of IP seems to be the the most powerful element of it. And when you look into it, you we know that Square Enix has had a history of, how should one say this diplomatically, bashing? Yeah, we're just going to go with bashing. They're Western studios talking about how they uh, didn't meet expectations with all three of the Tomb Raider remakes, even though they've combined sold over well over 30 million copies. Uh, saying that Crystal Dynamics didn't meet expectations with Avengers, which I think is a very fair statement to say there. But then to, to suggest that, uh, you know, Guardians of the Galaxy also didn't meet expectations, and they consistently say this about their Western studios, it felt very much as though they were trying to get rid of, of these Western studios. And I don't know if that is the case. That's something they were trying to do. But it felt that way. And because it felt that way, this deal feels all the more suspect, at least in my mind. Um, man, the IP part, I just can't get past that, Sam. Yeah, it's pretty big. And and I mean, even thinking about the ones that are included specifically that everybody's been focusing on, I have the, the announcement pulled up here. And I mean, you're talking about Tomb Raider and Deus Ex specifically, along with Thief. Those three alone... I mean, if you rebooted those and you really kind of brought them back into the limelight, Tomb Raider itself doesn't need a reboot. And there's already another one in development. Uh, but specifically with Deus Ex and Thief, bringing those back into the limelight, you have your investment most of the way paid for at that point. Like those are going to be doing numbers specifically with Deus Ex. Uh, I watch Co-Carnage on Twitch and I know that he is a huge fan of that. And so uh, there are tons and tons of people out there that want these games. And for the Embracer Group acquisition, I think they are now uh, in the hands of people that can help make that a reality where Square Enix might have been a little bit more hesitant to go all in and fund those projects. Yeah, no, it's wild to me. When you look at the IP that they've gotten uh, kind of gobbled up there, are there any that surprise you most that, that Square Enix was willing to let go? I mean, in particular, I think Tomb Raider is pretty wild to me just because it's had such a good run in the past few years. I mean, we were talking about over the past 10 years, uh, this rebooted trilogy has redefined Tomb Raider for a new generation. And for them to just be willing to let go of that uh, does not seem like something that would be the go-to option. I don't know if that was somehow, you know, massaged into the deal, uh, maybe something like that. But once again, you know, just looking to, to Deus Ex and Tomb Raider, I think those are the two biggest shockers for me personally. Yeah, it's it's definitely just just wild when you think about the kind of the ramifications that can come from it. I know when when you look at Embracer Group now, amidst all the other acquisitions, they now have uh, goodness. Let me pull this up because this is just wild. They will now have 14,000 employees, 10,000 game developers, and 124 internal studios. Uh, they have also stated that they have 230 games in development across those studios, and more than 30 of those are AAA titles. 
that is astounding to me. Uh, absolutely astounding the amount of uh, catalog they command there. That's not to say that's true, like, you know, attention demanding IP, but the amount of work they're trying to do and put out there, it it certainly seems to be a, a buy low and hope for the best and see if one of them makes a big hit type strategy. Yeah, I think that's pretty much what they're doing. And I mean, when I think about Embracer Group and I see their acquisitions, what I immediately think of are games like the Destroy All Humans remake, where is it going to be going head to head with Call of Duty this year? No, it's not in terms of sales. But there are people out there that want that. And there is a community out there that will discover it for the first time. And then if it lands on Game Pass, all the better for it. So I think they have a wise uh, strategy when mm-hmm. it comes to the games they're developing because they aren't trying to put out the next big uh, hit necessarily. They have goals in that space. And I think that's kind of what you saw Square Enix try to do with Outriders last year. Uh, but now specifically with these IP moving over to Embracer Group, I think you're seeing, again, that bigger focus on those double A level games. And there's a market for that, you know, in the same way that Netflix is really successful with these uh, kind of B tier movies. I think that Embracer Group can have a lot of success with the double A level games that a lot of people don't have the funds to make because they're out of the reach of an indie studio. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the big AAA studios aren't willing to go that low to help make that experience happen. Sure, sure. Okay, that's making sense. That does make sense. And I I guess I understand the logic, but it does bum me out to see that Crystal Dynamics, who was building a relationship with Microsoft, who is working in tandem with the initiative to make the next Perfect Dark, who has been kind of seemingly massaging their way into a stronger Microsoft connection, particularly given the way their developers uh, and the leaders of those studios at the initiative and Crystal Dynamics have worked together. I was really surprised to see that Microsoft didn't make a play for Crystal Dynamics if they were truly being shopped around. And my only thought possible here is that as they work to make the Activision deal go through, that's what's kind of putting the hold on other acquisitions like one that would have been such a good fit. Yeah, 100%. I think that had they not been in the midst of this Activision Blizzard situation, they wholeheartedly would have gone after Crystal Dynamics. And of course, like long term, I really do think that Activision Blizzard is going to be worth the deals that they are missing. And I do think they are missing multiple deals. Just my gut feeling here. Um, But Crystal Dynamics would have been a really good fit. And long term, I don't know if they would have been their own studio or if they would have been kind of bundled into the initiative if the deal had gone through. I mean, we can kind of hypothesize all day, uh, but I'm totally right there with you. I really do think that they would have been a part of Microsoft had they not been going through this Activision Blizzard situation. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, I'm bummed about it, I guess, on some level because it felt like a good fit. And I've long since felt like Crystal Dynamics specifically of these three studios has been continually, continuously ostracized by Square Enix, who I think has struggled to, to work with their Western developers. Uh, that said, no slouch are the other two studios that are going in there. I mean, when you look at it, Eidos Montreal and Square Enix Montreal, they have put out tons of quality games, including Guardians of the Galaxy and um for them, when I saw Square Enix note that they felt like that one was a disappointment, I was just baffled because that game is genuinely wonderful. Yeah, for sure. I played it whenever it hit Game Pass. It was one of the first games that I had finished in full this year. Um, and it really was impressive. I feel like Square Enix focuses solely on the cost of making the game versus the money it brought in. 
Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't think they look at the long term. You know, we're building up this brand. We're going to make Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. You know, like bringing that kind of longevity where you say, all right, we're putting the foundation down. It's not going to generate tons of revenue, but two and three could. Uh, They're looking more so at like, we paid this amount of money for the rights to use these characters. And this game only did X amount of sales. That's kind of where I think Square Enix is coming from. And when you approach games that they make and the games they've been making from that approach, yeah, you're probably going to be disappointed sometimes. Yeah, no, I have to agree. I have to agree. And I'm bummed out because I felt like they made good games. And when you make good games, I feel like you should be rewarded. But we know that that business uh, mentality doesn't always make its way through. And that's kind of a bummer for sure. Yeah, I think so. But I, I really do think that if they had joined Microsoft, yes, it would have been great. And I think Microsoft would have been a good home for them. Um, but I don't think that Embracer Group is going to be... Uh, I would be much more concerned about Crystal Dynamics and these other studios had they been acquired by Tencent or something. Uh, or, you know, one of these big shops that could just uh, pull an Activision Blizzard and kind of bundle them into another studio and make them focus on making gotcha mobile games or whatever ends up happening. I think that Embracer Group will treat them uh, with the respect they deserve and give them a, a pretty good leash to kind of do their own thing and just fund these titles that they already like working on and that they clearly have a history of. Uh, I think this is just going to free them up and hopefully uh, they'll be paired with a publisher now that is allowing them to actually excel rather than being held back. You're right. You're, you are right for sure. Now, we got a couple questions in on this topic. Matt, without fear, wrote in. He said, obviously, you want to know our thoughts on M- the Embracer acquisition, which I think we touched on. But then he asks, do you think they might overtake Ubisoft, given the latter's downward trend uh, as the big go-to European publisher? So do you think, given Ubisoft's troubles, you know, Embracer might step in and fill that role? I don't think it'll be Embracer Group. Um, obviously, we've seen the reports, too, about, uh, you know, private equity firms coming in and and the Gimo family is trying to, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, forego uh, any kind of big acquisition to have their studios be taken over. And Ubisoft is in a weird spot because they're so close to being good most of the time you know like they have some good ip there but they've driven uh the tom clancy name in the world of gaming into the ground from my opinion uh even with the division two yeah we saw that season nine announcement earlier today i think but it's the division two it's more content when it comes to things like ghost recon breakpoint wildlands those just haven't been good uh assassin's creed is a really solid ip that they've got But at the same time, how far does that really get you whenever you're still funding all of these other games? And I do think they've kind of fallen from grace in recent years. Uh, So an acquisition would not surprise me. I don't think it'll be Embracer Group. I don't think it'll be Microsoft. Um, We see them hinting that they're working deeper with Microsoft. And, you know, you have Assassin's Creed Origins coming to Game Pass. Uh, So those conversations could tangentially happen and something could come of that. But I think between uh, the workplace issues that Ubisoft is dealing with right now, similar to what Activision Blizzard has, and a failing catalog of IP for the most part, uh, that's a big pill to swallow for anybody that wants to get financially involved. I mean, you really have to want those IP. You really have to want these teams. Uh, And even then, you have to get in there and clean up a huge mess, which is exactly what Microsoft is going to have to be doing with Activision Blizzard as well. Uh, And I think that few people are really willing to take that on for the potential reward 
which is, you know, you get Far Cry and Assassin's Creed, and both of those are getting kind of antiquated in the the general gaming eye, I think. I think you're absolutely right when you talk about the the antiquation element of it, and Ubisoft is becoming somehow less and less relevant despite putting out some pretty good titles in the past few years the problem is the antiquation of those ip that they do put out um i have kind of halcyon memories of of assassin's creed origins and and even odyssey thinking like man ubisoft is back they fought off vivendi they're putting out quality content and it just feels like it's gone by the wayside yet again i mean they've damaged the tom clancy name to your point uh, so many times over that I don't even know what Tom Clancy means in the gaming space any longer. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's certainly far gone from the days of Ghost Recon Advanced Warfighter or even, uh, you know, the Splinter Cell series. They're just gone. And I mean, you look at how many games have been announced and canceled from Ubisoft. I mean, I'm thinking about, was it Ghost Recon Frontline most recently? Just yeah, getting rid of that. They took the Tom Clancy branding off of X Defiant. It just... It's just so confusing to see what it is that the Gimel family and Ubisoft are trying to do over there that it feels desperate. Yeah, it does. I think that the thing that's bothered me in recent years about Ubisoft is they have a lot of, of these cookie cutter kind of experiences. And that's not to be a dig because they those kind of experiences can be good. But, you know, like they've got the Far Cry formula where, you know, everybody's talked about it, where you go up to the top of a mountain, you wing glide off, you land on a radio tower, you scan the area, you go kill a base of bad guys and you move on and you repeat that cycle over and over again. And it's similar with Assassin's Creed with the division. Uh, that's kind of hit a cadence as well. And now you see that where you've got these cookie cutter games. And then you have them trying to chase trends and find something new. You have Hyperscape with the Battle Royale. There's a new Battle Royale coming out this year that may or may not have NFTs involved, which is the worst combination you could possibly have right now. Uh, you've got the uh, Tom Clancy's X Defiant, which is like a, a Valorant team-based Call of Duty clone thing uh, that whenever the beta test came out, no one really was super hot about from what I understand. And so you've got chasing trends and cookie cutter games there's nothing authentic except for assassin's creed at this point and even that you know we've had origins we've had valhalla uh we had odyssey those are all three basically the same game with a new coat of paint on it so something new has to come you know yep you're exactly right i couldn't agree more and i i hope to see that uh ubisoft has manages to, to figure it out but i go back to the original question and say uh yeah i don't think embracer is going to take that role uh you know kind of being that go-to european publisher but there's no doubt that uh, they've got an opportunity to as ubisoft does struggle uh, we also had a question in the acquisition territory sam uh, from todd oxtra and he writes in saying with wb looking to sell off its studios but keep the ip could we see a micro could we see microsoft forge a relationship with wb uh, Xbox get ta gets talented studios and Microsoft gets a long-term license for WB properties. Xbox studios could have a field day with those licenses. Uh, Sam, I'll let you go first on that one. I'm really curious as to how it all irons out because obviously, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, this is all happening because of the, dis the Discovery Warner Brothers merger, right? Correct. Yes. Yeah. So, so like that came through and now you've got a whole bunch of big wigs sitting in conference rooms saying, all right, we've got these things to sell. How do we sell them? Who do we sell them to? Um, I don't know about Microsoft getting involved directly because I do think that uh, Microsoft is very focused on finding something 
uh, or I should say finding partners that are good long-term fits. And I do think that there are some long-term fits there. Um, but the question is, which ones? I would love to see uh, the Middle Earth Shadow of War, Shadow of Mordor uh, franchise kind of come into the Microsoft vein. I think that fits uh, with where they're going with all these RPGs and that kind of thing. And so I would love to see that one come into the Microsoft fold. Uh, and in terms of studios, you know, you've got your pick of, of how many in, in that catalog. But the question that I want to bring uh, and and the hypothesis that I want to bring are with Sony getting involved in the fighting game space, specifically buying Evo. Will they end up trying to get the rights to Mortal Kombat and make that a PlayStation exclusive and blow that competitive scene up? That's what I think is going to come of this in the biggest way uh, and, and be the biggest news story. That's just my prediction on that one. That's an interesting take. I don't know that I like the idea of that, given the relationship between Sony and Street Fighter. I would hate to see the two most prolific and dominant uh, fighting games go to one platform. I'm not a fan of, of exclusivity in, in that sense of the uh, of the word, I guess you would say. Uh, I, I do see a world where that is a thing they're trying to do, and I don't like it. Uh, it bothers me for sure. Um, man, oh, I'm just I'm torn on that one. That. It irks me, Sam. It irks me big. Yeah I, yeah, I know. Whenever I first thought about that, I was like, it, it makes perfect sense, though. Like, it, from a business perspective, to buy Evo, to buy Mortal Kombat, that makes a lot of sense. I'm, I'm with you. Uh, you know, I like things staying to the, uh, you know, third party available anywhere you want to play. Or as an Xbox fan, if it ends up being Xbox exclusive, you know, that's great, too. But yet for Mortal Kombat to kind of go to one team kind of kind of bothersome for sure. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Um, for my money, Todd, to go back to your question there, uh, I think it's a bad deal for for anybody to pick up one of those WB studios and then ask them to make more of the same kind of game and just license out. You know, it's, it's like, hey, WB, we'll buy the studio and then we'll pay you to make another Batman game. That feels very strange. So uh, when you have those really talented studios like uh, WB Montreal, like Rocksteady, and you know you're getting high quality talent and you can find a way to retain that talent so they don't jump ship, uh, that's a good thing. But then if you ask them to go make more of the same types of games they've been making, but you have to pay for the license, that to me seems like a bad deal. So as a matter of, you know, what IP are you getting? Is it worth the talent that you're getting there? Uh, to me, I think NetherRealm is a no-brainer. you got to get NetherRealm and, and get the Mortal Kombat IP uh, if you're going to snag them because they are immensely talented and they've already got relationships as they work with Marvel and DC right now concurrently, which is a thing that's happening. I, I feel like Ed Boon said that uh, before, but they're doing that right now with both. Uh, I would love to see NetherRealm get gobbled up, and I my would hope would be that it wouldn't be Sony that snags uh, WB Montreal or Rocksteady for the Batman license specifically, because again, my same point, I don't want just like the street fighter and mortal Kombat, I don't want Spider-Man and Batman to belong to just one platform. I think that would be a, uh, unhealthy for the gaming industry. I think those games should all be multi-platform, um, cause those characters are, are special and you know, that's cool. That's a good thing. So I don't know, Sam, when I, I, I don't want WB going to Sony, and I don't really want them to go to Microsoft, but of the two, I would choose Microsoft for the sole factor of I don't want certain titles or certain genres to be occupied solely by one platform holder. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. When it comes to Rocksteady, the amount of talent that they bring 
is just on another level. And and in a world where Microsoft gets the the Rocksteady team and they can put them on something, you know, if, if Sony is making Spider-Man and Wolverine, I would love to see Xbox be the home for the DC equivalent of that. You know, make a Superman game, make the long awaited Superman game, you know, put I've, that yes, out. I've heard that's a thing. Who knows? Yeah, I mean, I mean, who knows at this point, but I think we've all seen that Unreal Engine 5 tech demo that's been floating around on Twitter where, or uh, yeah, on Twitter where you can see like somebody's made a Superman style experience and you're like, okay, that's a game I could definitely play. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Microsoft could be the home for that kind of thing. And again, this is all just hypothetical, um, but there is there is definitely talent there that is in the market and that people will end up scooping up. The big question is, where do they end up going? I think it goes back to, from the Microsoft perspective, they're so enthralled in this Activision Blizzard situation that they, even if they have the cash, are going to have to pass on a lot of these deals just because it wouldn't hold up to industry uh, regulations and investigations. No, I think you're absolutely right. And all the more interesting will be just how, how, how does one say this? just how they decide to pick and choose which ones to go for and which ones to hold back on. Because uh, as they make this Activision deal, I wonder what that's ruled them out of for the future, what that's made available to them for the future. And, you know, allegations of what Bobby Kotick's doing has certainly had to have complicated the matters. Um, WB feels like a big one, as does the idea of snagging, you know, other things or competing with, with, you know, Tencent or uh, even Embracer group themselves. It, it it's just an interesting thing to watch from the outside looking in yeah it totally is and i i think that microsoft is kind of a an open book when it comes to acquisitions because we see with the activision blizzard catalog some games will be exclusive some won't call of duty will not so if they acquire another big name like that uh you know what happens with these other catalogs you know if they get the rights will batman be multi-platform and other rocksteady game let's say suicide squad you know again alternate reality but let's say that is an xbox exclusive and the next arkham game if there is one uh will be multi-plat there are so many options out there uh, and now they have kind of set this precedent of being open to new ideas and open to new forms of distribution uh that might not just be focused on exclusivity that who knows what could come of that uh, but yeah, the Activision Blizzard thing is incredibly complicated. I don't envy those lawyers. I think it's a huge pain. Um, and a- as a fan, I'll be glad when it's over with mm-hmm. <laughs> so that we can kind of move past these conversations and focus on the games themselves rather than the news. Yeah, no, I think that's a fair point, a fair point and a fair statement there. Uh, let's transition now to kind of the other ongoing element. This past weekend, uh, Xbox made headlines intentionally and unintentionally uh, as they talked about kind of their online c- cloud gaming space. Uh, and in doing so, discussed a bit of the Xbox network, which I will always call Xbox Live. And then kind of in tandem with that news, uh, there was some DRM frustration as Xbox network went down. And a lot of people, thousands of players, couldn't access their games despite owning them and then being on a hard drive due to the always online connection. Let's start first, Sam, with the cloud gaming element. Uh, a big kind of deal was made about the idea that you can now play Fortnite via Xbox uh, Xbox's gaming cloud. And you can do that on iOS and iPad, which is you know long been the case you, that you couldn't. You can now go to xbox.com slash play and jump into Fortnite without a Game Pass subscription, without anything other than a login for Xbox Network, and you can just play for free. 
no device needed and you can do or sorry no uh special logins needed other than that and you can do it on ipad and ios and that's a big deal that seems pretty cool to me dude it's very cool uh whenever i first saw that news uh, i was at lunch and i just opened up my laptop to see what was going on and immediately this hits my feed and the fact that you don't need xbox game pass ultimate the fact that you don't need a controller i think those two elements are game changers here because for ios players specifically and for the majority of android players this is the first time they've been able to legitimately play fortnite without any kind of controller without any kind of workaround without having to sideload apps in what is it over a year at this point since this epic versus apple thing has been going on and then google mm-hmm. got involved yep uh, And so being able to just dive in and play without any kind of restriction is not only something that's great for players themselves, but it's great for Microsoft because, number one, it puts their network to the test. Number two, it gets more people invested in cloud gaming. And then it's like what I said on exhibition, uh, whenever you get somebody in the foot with the foot in the door and they're over here playing Fortnite, you say, hey, we have Fortnite. We're glad you're enjoying it. What about these games? You can play all of these games. Do you have an Xbox controller? Plug that thing in. Start playing Halo. You know, you can just kind of ease them into the Xbox ecosystem uh, in the same way that Fortnite, as a free-to-play game, gets more people invested in ecosystems in general. So it's a win-win all around. Yeah, it's a big deal. Really cool to see. And then the kind of news about the long-rumored puck that's out there, maybe the streaming stick, whatever you want to call it. It sounds like that might be on its way as well. That is exciting to me that's really exciting to me yeah definitely i think that the the technology behind the puck i'm very curious about because it's almost there you know we're on the cusp of something big stadia was not a bad idea it was a good idea that was incredibly poorly executed uh cloud gaming is going to blow up will it be as big as console gaming or pc gaming overnight no Uh, But as the Internet infrastructure across the states and around the world continues to improve, more people are going to be willing to jump in on this. Plus, it's expensive to be alive right now. So, you know, to be able to say 15 bucks a month or preferably a cloud streaming plan, which I think is coming uh, for, let's say, eight to 10 bucks a month. And then you pay $25 for a streaming stick. Or if you want, you can pay, uh, let's say, $69.99. You get the streaming stick and the Xbox controller all bundled together. For less than $100, you've got two months of Game Pass and this streaming experience. And you plug it into your TV and you're ready to go. That's what gets more people in the door whenever you lower the entry-level cost of getting into gaming and getting into Xbox. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I'm excited to see kind of how that that takes place. I've loved the idea of cloud gaming. It really is the accessory that you said to, you know, your subscriptions that you already have. To me, it will not replace my console experience or even my purchasing of a device. I feel like there's something special and tangible in my my element of that. But to these young these young young bucks out there, they don't care about that. They just want to log in and go on whatever device they have and more power to them for doing that. Um, I'm excited by the, the prospects that what that leads to the future in but i'm also a little bit wary when things like this happen alongside news of uh what happened this past weekend where thousands of people couldn't play games that they owned that they purchased that are even single player events due to an always online required connection that drm element that uh, haunted the xbox one's launch 
Uh, a lot of people were upset this past weekend. I got to tell you, quietly, didn't phase me, bother me in one bit. I didn't notice a single interruption, but I saw that so many people were, and I felt compelled to bring it up here. Yeah, I didn't. Uh, I didn't have any issues either. I also had to work on Saturday, so I did not have my traditional gaming time. Uh, but whenever I jumped on Halo Infinite, I think it it was specific issues with specific games, like you said, where if you owned a game uh, that was not on Game Pass and you weren't playing on a home console, you could have some issues. And then I saw Jez Corden uh, saying that some people that were playing on their home console had some issues. So it seems like it was all over the place. Uh, but at the end of the day, the DRM situation has to be fixed. Something has to be done uh, to where I don't need to be online to verify that I own these games. I don't need to be on a specific console doing specific things. But there has to be an in-between. I think there's a good middle ground because, you know, th this isn't GOG. You know, this isn't good old games. You can't just download stuff and save it to a hard drive and expect it to work. There are expectations here to limit piracy. There are expectations here to limit, uh, you know, the ability to share games with people that don't own them. I get that. It's a business move. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, whether you agree with it or not, it's something that's a reality in the digital future that we live in. Mm -hmm. So they have to reevaluate their approach here to ensure that when a network issue happens, because they do, uh, and then it happens on one of your biggest weekends in a while where you've got people jumping on Fortnite, a lot of eyes on the Xbox brand, Xbox Cloud Gaming. You've got to make sure your infrastructure looks its best. And they didn't do that last weekend. It looked pretty inconsistent. Uh, and for those that are just glancing on, now it kind of has eroded the faith uh, in the, uh, I suppose, uh, success of this platform long term. Uh, and I know that's, you know, a bit of a stretch, but a lot of people might think that and they could be a little bit less reluctant to jump on in. Well, Court Lalonde wrote in and he asked two questions of us, one of which I think you just touched on. He said it, he asks, is DRM the future? And did the last couple of days show us how anti-consumer it is? Uh, Sam, I'm going to push back a little bit. I don't think DRM is necessarily anti-consumer. I think it can be implemented far better than it perhaps is. Uh, maybe the amount of time required for an online check-in to a single-player game uh, could be adjusted you know, to make sure that it's not pirated or whatnot, and that your home console is being actively engaged with the network. But if it's a single-player game that you've purchased, the DRM should be very different than, say, a game that requires you to uh, download updates from a server from time to time or get network feed uh, information. It doesn't feel anti-consumer to me as a as a premise, but the practice that it's currently being used in does feel anti-consumer. Yeah, 100%. And it really makes me, <laughs> in a way, I love physical games, and I totally understand that they're just disks that connect to the network and verify in the same way that it's a digital code and it would. I, I understand the utility of it, but I love buying physical, and I just wish that much like the switch uh, cartridges that limited run games makes that some of these discs just had the single player content on them and you can just play them outright rather than having to verify ownership and go through the whole rigmarole every time. Mm -hmm. Um, but yes, I totally agree with you. The DRM uh, is not necessarily bad in nature, but it's very bad in the way that it's currently utilized. So being able to reevaluate that and figure out a better way to deliver these games to people in a secure way uh, that doesn't compromise your your business, doesn't compromise uh, the network itself, the the store experience, anything like that uh, should definitely be looked at. And they've got to figure this out. Uh, 
because the digital future is here. It is now. And if you have issues with this in 2022, you are unequivocally behind in the game. Fully agree with you. And and for Court asking if DRM is the future, uh, to your point, Sam, it's now. It's part of it. It's just what it is. And it makes sense, especially when we talk about this topic uh, immediately after referencing the cloud gaming initiatives. Uh, yeah, it's, it, it is now. It's not the future. It is now. And I don't think it's inherently bad. I think it can be implemented poorly, as we just saw. Uh, Sam, Halo Infinite Season 2 has launched. Lone Wolves, uh, people that are diving in on uh, Xbox and and Steam and uh, everywhere else they can access Halo Infinite, they're jumping into Halo Infinite. They're trying uh, this new season. Uh, Have you done so yet? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I've been spending a lot of time with Halo Infinite. I have been uh, bouncing back and forth between uh, Halo Infinite Season 2, a little bit of Dead Space 2, uh, a little bit of Trek to Yomi. And so when it comes to my Halo Infinite experience, I am currently a level 11 uh, with the Battle Pass and a level 6 with the Event Pass, to put it into perspective. No, I, that's amazing. I am, I think, level 18 on the Battle Pass, and I've finished up the Interference Battle Pack. Look at uh, this guy over here, just going I, hard, man. Dude, I... What are you going to do for the next five months after you finish this thing, huh? What are you going to earn? Oh, gosh, I don't know. <laughs> You're so right. That's the problem. I'm terrified of it. Um, I'll tell you this right now. I love a lot of season two. I've got a lot of thoughts. I, I wrote down handwritten notes on it. Um, and I'm going to share those with you. And then then you feel free to you pick apart my thoughts real quick. Okay? Sounds good. All right. So Halo Infinite season two. Uh, a lot of stuff that I really, really love. I, I think the Battle Pass progression looks good. It's got a lot of diversity in that Battle Pass that really cleans up a lot of issues, including uh, it's got currency in there far more often, so you can earn in-game currency and essentially uh, buy back your Battle Pass so you can use that towards other things that are in the store. Love Last Part and Standing. That is a favorite mode of mine, quickly becoming a favorite mode of mine. Um, I think it's a really cool premise, and I hope they build upon it. It's very Battle royale light. But if you're not necessarily good at Battle Royales, you can still have a good time in there because you get five lives. Uh, Some very cool stuff in there. I think the two new maps that have been added, fantastic and love them. Uh, But I have a lot of problems with some of the things they've done in Season 2. And it's not the, 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 you know, Halo elites out there that are like, oh, they fixed mantling to where you can't move it on a .367 scale (laughs) slide. Shut up. None of us are that good. All right. None of us are playing Halo esports. Although, by the way, it's really fun to watch those guys play. They're amazing. But, you know, that's that can't be the core game. It's got to be approachable. And I feel like they didn't really damage any of that stuff. But, Sam, but here's my butt here. <clears throat> There's a lot of uh, vaulted armors and armors that you can't access and things that are shown to be in the game, but that you can't buy because the store is so sparse in what it shows. Despite now having an entire season's worth of things that you can buy, There's tons of stuff that you can't have access to, including things that were said to be in season one that weren't. And I'm thinking about uh, Noble One's shoulder or uh, arm guard. That's not in there. And their whole premise of of season one and Halo Infinite's multiplayer element was that you would never have FOMO. You could always go back and unlock things. And their store is so sparse that you can't do that. And that bums me out. So I think we need more more and faster store rotations uh, for different elements of the armors there. Sam, why is there no PVE? This game's so cool. This game's got great mechanics. There's no PVE. There's no mode where I can battle against Marines or with Marines. There's no firefight. There's no 
uh, mutual objectives for me and my buddies to just go in and co-op blast. Why not throw some AI in there? Is there bot matches? Can I get some bot matches? Why not that? Uh, and then, you know, vehicles. Big team battles, dope. But I want cooler vehicles in there. More tanks, more wasps, less gun gooses, less uh, <laughs> the little chopper bike things that only six people enjoy riding around in. Uh, there's so many great things here. And yet, and yet, Sam, some of it just misses the mark. I don't know. I ranted briefly. What do you think? I think that I'm pretty in line with where you're at. I think Halo Infinite Season 2... Let me back up and say that currently Halo Infinite is in the best spot that it's been in since it launched. That is true, uh, despite my yeah. anger. <laughs> yep, and yeah, so I, well, I feel the same way. Where I have my frustrations, and I've been pretty vocal about them on you know YouTube Shorts. I've been pretty vocal about them. I've been vocal about them on Twitter. Uh, but at its core, Halo Infinite is in a pretty good spot, and it will continue to get better. When it comes to season two, right now. Uh, I'm totally in agreement with you that I love Breaker. I love Catalyst. I've only played a couple of matches on Catalyst, but I'll immediately tell you that's one of my favorite maps in the game so far. Very good map. Very well designed. Uh, And I'm looking forward to playing more of that. But one of my biggest issues is the fact that it's not in rotation that much, which is mind-boggling to me. Like, I know that it's one, but increase the percentage that people get that for at least a week or so um, so that people can get in there and experience it. But to your point about cosmetics in the store and the battle pass, uh, I love the fact that currency is in the battle pass now. That's great. Following in the steps of Fortnite, uh, where you can earn back that battle pass. And so one $10 investment could potentially get you the next 20 seasons of Halo Infinite, which is awesome. Um, but I agree where there are just all of these cosmetics that you look at and you can see. Uh, but the question is, when can I unlock those? And I get that it's a free to play game and I get that it's designed to force me. Uh, oh, sorry. I mean, entice me to come back every week, you know, and like check out the new store rotation, check out the new, uh, weekly ultimate reward. Uh, and I do that. I'm a sucker for that system. I do it for Halo. I do it for Battlefield. There are plenty of other games that have that element out there. Uh, but I do wish that there was at least more transparency of if not now, when, you know, like if I can't unlock this shoulder armor, when can I get it? Right. Uh, just being able to have some kind of, of timeline or kind of like what Master Chief Collection did with the 20th anniversary uh, rewards back in November and December, where you can see, okay, this is going to be available in three weeks. This is going to be available in four weeks. And I suppose that takes an element of surprise out of it. And then people might not play until that specific week. Uh, but just being able to have a general idea of when and how I can unlock stuff would be nice. Um, when it comes to modes, last man standing grew on me immediately starting off. I hated it. I really, really did. Uh, (laughs) just because I don't have that skill level to, uh, dive in immediately on a new map, admittedly, without knowing the spawns and without knowing the player, uh, you know, how you navigate a map, the flow of the map. Uh, you know, I die, I, I jumped in, died immediately, like three matches, four matches in a row. But then I started getting better. I learned the guns a little bit better and it forces me to play smarter, which then translates into me being a better player in arena, uh, which I thought was super interesting. So last man stay. Sorry, go ahead. No, I was just I was. That's good. I was just listening. That's all. Yeah, for sure. Um, But last Spartan standing super cool. Uh, When it comes to King of the Hill, I like what they've done with it. It feels very good. Big fan of that one. Uh, I'm looking forward to diving into land grab whenever that gets added to the game. But um, overall, I like where they're heading. 
I want to see more, I think is really what it comes down to. And uh, we saw in the Kind of Funny X cast last week, uh, Joseph Staten kind of hinting, hey, I like the idea of bringing back some of these classic maps. I think I should bring that up to the team. And it was a kind of, uh, you know, uh, tongue in cheek way of saying, hey, that's kind of coming. So I personally uh, think that this summer, if they can get that done by this summer, which again, I know is a is a pipe dream with the way this team has been putting out content, which is not meant to be a dig, just a reality. Uh, But if they could put out some classic maps this summer and say, hey, here are three classic maps coming to Halo Infinite today. And it launches in the middle of July when all the kids are out of school, when everybody's got some vacation downtime. That would be a fantastic win uh, that could catapult this game to the end of season two which then would bring a new flow of content, hopefully hitting that three-month cadence that they've been wanting to hit from the beginning. So uh, in short, season two, good start. More to be done. Looking forward to season three. Yeah, I I agree with that as well. And I'm I'm truly bummed. I've heard in the ether from from the people I know that are at 343 that the question was asked if their Battle Royale or, or whatever their BR equivalent is would be ready for this summer. And I don't think it's going to be. Uh, but I did hear that the question was posed and asked. I'm very curious to see what they do have this summer because, again, it seems content light. They keep saying priority zero. He, Joseph Staten, is saying that you know the classic maps are seemingly coming, which is in contrast to what they had said originally. They wanted Infinite to have its own path. Um, Forge is coming in late summer, co-op in late summer to probably fall. I'm anxious to see what the anniversary of this game has. I think there's a lot. Well, I've heard there's plenty coming for season three, and that will be kind of coinciding with the anniversary of Halo Infinite. That to me is going to be their big up. Bring it all in. This is this is where anyone that hasn't tried it should jump should jump in. Anyone that's left should come back. Um, and I want it all, man. I want that battle royale. I want. Uh, some of these modes to keep coming. I want the maps. I want the co-op. I want a PVE element. Um, I want the promise of this game to deliver because the mechanics are so fun and there's just so much there. And I mean, if you look at Sea of Thieves, Apex, Fortnite, how, Destiny, how many of them had a, a rocky year one but had a good foundation and were able to build on it, you know? Yeah, no, 100%. And I think that, uh, you know, you, you see the the team at 343 saying, we hear you, we like hearing feedback. And the fact that the community, you know, whether it's on Reddit or on Twitter or in the Twitch chat, whenever there's a Halo Championship Series event, these people are vocally giving criticism of Halo Infinite and it's valid criticism. But the team has said this, and I agree, if there had been no complaints, if there are no people talking about it, that's when you have a problem. This community around Halo Infinite is incredibly passionate. I'm a member of that community, as are you, and we want this to be awesome. And Halo Infinite, across the board, I mean, you have your, you know, dissenters here and there, but ultimately, it's a pretty great game. Like, fundamentally, mechanics-wise, it's awesome. Uh, and, And the maps and the content are solid, too. We just want more of it. I think that's the biggest complaint right now. Uh, so if they can deliver on that in season three and really with this anniversary, like you're talking, that's when you're really going to be seeing something special. I think fully agree. Fully agree. Sam, I want to get to one more question before we wrap up the show. This one came from uh, African Charles Jones writing in 
Uh, he's one of my regular gaming buddies, and he is a fellow Batman fanatic, as am I. He says, Gotham Knights, recent rumors of four-player co-op. What are your thoughts? Also, how much of a push should Microsoft make for WB Montreal? Um, for context, any listener that is unaware, there was a store listening on the PlayStation Network that suggested Gotham Knights might be four players, whereas previously it was listed as a co-op game, uh, and that was back when it's reveal- it was revealed in 2020. Uh, for my money, Sam, the idea that it's four players would certainly explain the, the internal delay that they had, um, but I don't know how that gameplay would fare to have four people playing an Arkham-esque style, even though it's a sp- not an Arkham successor, it is spiritually so. Uh, I'm curious to see how that would work out. I have no problems with it, but I can tell you, I was always planning to play this game single player. Yeah, 100%. I'm also planning on playing it single player. Um, but I'm kind of in line with what some people on Twitter said, where the box art has always had four people on it. I always kind of assumed it would be four people, four players. Did you really? Yeah, yeah. I, I always kind of assumed that it did. Now, I didn't sit down and like think deeply about it mechanics wise, uh, but just based on marketing materials, I'm like, well, if you have four players on the cover, probably going to be able to have four people there, you know, ready to ready to rock. Um, I think that it could work. I think that it's less about having four people facing enemies in the same size as what we saw in like Arkham Knight and more so building out enemies and fights around having potentially four people there and kind of making a scalable experience where it fits one player, uh, but it also fits four players. And I think that it could be cool to have a little squad of uh, a squad of uh, crime fighters out there running around uh, and uh, and beating uh, beating up baddies. I think that would be uh, pretty cool, especially if you have a regular squad you run with where you can say, hey, you three guys want to jump on and, you know, go fight crime with me. I think that sounds neat. It sounds neat. Uh, It sounds like from when you and I are recording, less than 24 hours from now, we're going to see gameplay. Uh, As as the Gotham Knights Twitter handle came out and said they were showing something tomorrow. I'm super excited about it. We've had one of the voice actors on the show, Incritzia Bajos, who plays Renee Montoya, we had one of the senior game designers on the show, uh, Osama Dorius, who at the time was a member of that team and has now since moved on. Um, I'm so excited for Gotham Knights. That is my most anticipated game. Uh, my one hope is that if it does have co-op to the four-player degree and my buddies want to jump in, then I'm allowed to have separate save files, that they have multiple save files, mm-hmm. so I can have my single-player contained experience, and then I can have one that's a bit more kind of balls to the wall, being silly, going in, uh, beating up some baddies with my buddies, you know? Yeah, I think the biggest issue that I have with games that uh, build kind of an experience around co-op is that for me, oftentimes it feels like co-op games are designed with co-op players in mind. Uh, You know, admittedly, I look at Destiny and Destiny 2 and I think that where this game is clearly built for a squad. That's not a bad thing. Uh, But as a single player, do I find enjoyment in it? Yes. But at the same time, it really does require people. And I don't think that a Batman-esque game like Gotham Knights really needs to have that kind of experience where I look at it and I say, I need other players for this. I want to be able to dive in and have the same exact style of experience that I had uh, with Arkham Knight and Arkham City and Arkham Asylum and just build that out with other characters. You know, maybe it's like old school Marvel Ultimate Alliance where I can switch between them. I think they've confirmed that. I'm sure you could tell me if they have. Uh, But being able to have that kind of gameplay experience and cater to a single player uh, is definitely something that I want to see them enact in a way that feels natural and not just kind of tacked on to this co-op experience. Agreed. Agreed for sure. 
So, uh, yeah, I think we're going to go ahead and call that an episode, good sir. Uh, I want to encourage listeners to absolutely go rate Exhibition and Xbox Podcast over on iTunes and YouTube, uh, Spotify, wherever you can rate his show, please do so, and do the same for XEP. But, Sam, you take a moment, plug those places where you are, are producing content and showing out, because for me, Sunday mornings are dedicated to waking up with a cup of coffee and Exhibition. Yeah, that's awesome, man. I appreciate you checking it out every week. Um, and if anybody wants to check it out, you can find me on youtube.com slash jampacksam, Twitter, jampacksam. Uh, those are my two main platforms. And then the podcast exhibition uh, is available pretty much everywhere. But I'm making YouTube shorts throughout the week. I'm making some TikToks. You can find me on TikTok at jampacksam occasionally. Uh, but yeah, just out there, you know, talking about games, having a good time, tweeting about the news, cracking jokes. It's it's all just a good way to have fun and connect with people at this point. So, uh, so yeah, hope to see you guys over there. And of course, join Luke in checking out the podcast every single Sunday. Alrighty, guys, you can find me on Twitter at InsipidGhost. Email me, InsipidGhost at gmail.com. You're already listening to XCP, but take a moment and subscribe or like anywhere that you're able to. That's it for me. Take care, guys.